and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. Of course, this year we are doing 1991, perhaps the greatest year ever. We will have to let you know at the end of all this, but so far it's looking pretty good. My name is Greg and I am joined with my two best friends fighting it out to be a number one best friend. Ryan and Mike, before you introduce yourself, gentlemen. Ah, okay. Before, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You introduce yourselves, Mike. Gentlemen, you may have heard Mike just get a point there. So you should know this is a game show, and I will be scoring these gentlemen based on cogent analysis, points well made, making me laugh, appealing to my vanity, or destroying me with a well placed insult. Guys, welcome to the show. We are discussing Boys in the Hood, and let me know, what is your history with the movie Boys in the Hood, Mike? Well, I was once a boy in a hood, Greg. In, in a neighborhood? In a neighborhood. In a neighborhood, out, okay. And, uh, a lot of cul-de-sacs. So, and... n- no apostrophe hood. No. You you spelled the entire word. And uh, is, it, is it boys and the hood, or is it it's boys in. in the hood? You would think the N might make you think and. Yes. But I think they would use an ampersand at that point. It's in the hood. Okay. Is it sex and the city or sex in it the d- city? It depends on where you come from as far as your uh, Mandela rules go. Is it Tom and Jerry or is it Tom in Jerry? Tom in it's Jerry a pen- is a porno yeah. I directed. <laughs> you read the slash fiction on the Pop Filter Patreon. Uh, I, We're definitely I had, getting into it. I had not seen this movie. This is like, I, I'd heard this was. Like the start of the Cuba Gooding Jr. and Ice Cube, like people watch this one. Oh shit! And it was always like, you gotta watch it. But I, I had not seen this before this week. Ice Cuba, Ice Cuba, the <laughs> Cuba that's got just a little bit more alcohol, a little bit more of a taste to it. Cuba Ryan, dry. what is your history? I've with... seen this movie seven thousand times. Seven thousand. Yeah. I. For those of you who don't know, um, I grew up basically only watching black pop culture. And this was a major, major part of it. So was Martin. It yeah. wasn't all just stuff that was drama. I watched a lot of Martin. I watched a lot of Living Single and and Living Color. And did you do this with any intention to like? Did you did you even have any thoughts about it? Like, oh, now I'm gonna go check out this other show by Black creators, or did it just something that just like sort of happened? It was part of the American experience, and you were interested in it. On, honestly, like everything that was interesting that was happening just like there was no like oh this has black people in it so therefore i will watch it it's this is what my friends are watching this is what is supposed to be interesting and interesting in that like 10 year old way it's not like we were like writing papers about things but everything that was cutting edge that people were talking about as far as music because all we did was listen to hip-hop uh sports we only watched the nba and tv and movies we only watched uh stuff made for and by black people yeah, and it, there was just not the intentionality to it, but that's just the way it was. And so it it was like, and it was very unexamined. We were kids, but I think culturally it was less examined mm-hmm. too. But there's a lot of garbage that comes with that, just like there's a lot of garbage that comes with anything. And I think that the importance of Boys in the Hood is that what if it wasn't? What if we could make some sort of ripple in all cultures? You know, like not just affect these people who... Uh, you know, only watch black things or these people who will like anything because it's black, but everyone's going to hear about this movie. And it hadn't been done for two years because Do the Right Thing also did that. But this was the biggest thing since that. I Crossover would say. success. 
Yeah. Do you think there's something it's about sort of, boys because boys to men also did that musically? I I don't know if the four letter word of B O Y Z had something to yeah, do really with the success. I but have to boys say, to men was success only with older white women. <laughs> I don't know if that was a crossover hit. I watched the the movie when I was a kid a couple of times, and I have to say the big difference between watching it when you're ten and watching it now is the boys part really underlined. Like hmm. these are children kids yeah these are very very young people and i the problem when you're 10 is those were they look like adults to me you know and so this time around and the whole point is how young Mm -hmm. and immature they are for the most part and what a tragedy that is but that was the part that really hit home because i remember yeah being into this movie for lack of a better word but certainly and and thinking of it as tragic but i don't think fully understanding how tragic obviously because i was 10 a lot of what was going on yeah and it was i would like for my liberal flag to fly high right now but i'm gonna say this and i don't think i can fly it i I, the news was all about this as well Mm -hmm. yeah and the news was telling a very different story about what was going on south going on in south central than this movie right and i found this more engaging than the news because the news seems sort of two-dimensional uh creating villains out of whatever they could as opposed to this movie which uh was at least more entertaining if not like more empathetic mm-hmm. and told a broader story and this this movie I, I think you could argue has villains but it's only because we didn't see them as 10 year olds and then them as 17 year olds they are just on the outside of the characters we've been following you could tell this same story about the bloods who end up killing ricky and right. you'd be like yeah. oh man how tragic for them Exactly, yeah. Well, because, I mean, I think so much of this story is what the real villains are so far removed from the, yeah, from the location of this story. And so we don't even see them. I mean, whiteness is hardly addressed in this movie at all. There's like one white cop who hardly says anything, Mm -hmm. but all of these problems are very easily traceable to the the larger white community. The other thing, too, talking about 10-year-olds is that uh, I've read a lot about this movie over the course of the last week. Because did you guys... Have we talked about how we accidentally did a 30-year anniversary of movies? No, this is... No. Not, I think every, every week, I'm like, we should talk about that. And then we do not talk about weird? it. So there's a ton of articles about this movie in its 30th anniversary. And so many articles are written by uh, 40-year-olds mm-hmm. who yeah. were 10. Yeah. And who their parents took them to see this right. movie. And they knew that it was rated R. They knew that there was sex such as it is. And they knew that there was violence definitely such as it is. And the parents took these 10-year-olds to see this movie. They had, All these 10-year-olds were like, there is no way I would have ever <laughs> been allowed to see a rated R movie before. Yeah. But my parents took me to this because John Singleton made them. Because we had to go see this movie. And I think that's going to be such an important part of this discussion tonight is why what why would parents be feel like compelled to bring their children mm-hmm. to see this movie about like something that they could see by you know looking out their window we will get to that and so much more when we come back after this message boys in the hood is a story about the inner city violence of the 90s something i am sure without checking we have figured out the solution to by now I'm going to reach into my big bag of 91 tricks and guess that we solved this one with more policing and longer jail terms in the intervening years. That has to have done it. 
In the movie, we follow Trey and half-brothers Doughboy and Ricky as they each try to survive and thrive in an increasingly desolate urban landscape, blighted by redlining, gang violence, predatory businesses, and a complete paucity of hope. Like a Shakespearean tragedy, we can see the end coming, but it can't inure us to the human pain as Ricky is gunned down in the absolute prime of his young life. The cycle of violence continues, and we are left to ponder if getting out is the only hope left. So, gentlemen, I ask you this. As 90s as it can feel sometimes, does Boys in the Hood almost feel like it's from an even older era? With its deconstruction of male behavior and meandering, borderline, plotless pacing, could this movie hang out with a lot of the ones we watched for 1975? Yeah, I I, th- I did not expect such a hangout movie. Yeah. <laughs> for sure probably because of 1991 but like it's so clear singleton is looking to like your americans graffiti uh and to be like what if i got to do the same thing with my neighborhood and show how these kids are just hanging out and growing up there are scenes in this that reminded me specifically so much of dog day afternoon those long scenes towards the middle where people are just hanging out and having lengthy conversations right but yeah i totally mike is it is this not like the black link later movie Yes, <laughs> you know, like there, there are scenes where like it's very tense, and we don't know what's going to go on tonight. It's nighttime, and everybody is in their hydraulic field vehicle. Yes, <laughs> and these four gentlemen take time to talk about if God is a man or a woman, and <laughs> if there's a God at all. And Why? they spend a solid six minutes on it. There is no like, well, it's not train spotting or train spotting where, spotting, uh, yeah, like Cuba Gooding Jr. is just Mike. on. <laughs> Saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> Cooper Gooding Jr. is just on some like bank robbing mission, right? It's just hanging out. And these six minute conversations are, I think, crazy. Yeah, and 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 so so often when people are like, I can make my characters hang out. We we we've talked often and frequently about the Whedon effect and how bantery and annoying it is. But these people are talking and it's Mike. feels real and interesting and I mean, re- recently watching Mass Midnight, there is lengthy conversations about what happens when we die like these boys. And it is not interesting. Uh-huh. And it is not that realistic. And- but did it strike you as, it doesn't feel improvised, but did it strike you as overly scripted in that uh, fake? Did it strike you as, this is not... It feels like bullet points. No, you know, there were several times where I like almost... Curb? I almost mm-hmm. want... Yeah, like they give them bullet points and then say, talk about this. Yeah, there were times where I felt like it was that, or I wondered if he often used a trick where he was like, we're kind of just blocking this scene right uh, now. Oh, we're not filming right now, right. guys. And let me tell you one scene where I think it definitely happened. There's a scene where Trey and his dad are like pumping iron, uh-huh. and they both have the least amount of weight I've ever seen anybody <laughs> lift in my <laughs> entire very life. very realistic. Lawrence Fishburne, who must be so strong, is lifting like the bar and then like two pounds on either side. And, and the Trey kid, has a Q- Q-tip. Dude, I can't... <laughs> <laughs> they make weight. This like the size weights they make for old ladies when they're like but, also in the pool. But they still put on wife beaters so <laughs> yeah. they can see the muscles ripple as they live. And well, was, they, they didn't have weight technology. Didn't get far enough to put more weight on yet. But I think what was really going oh, on there wait. was I think, especially because Drive this is one of the scenes you. with a, a a child actor. I think mm. this is one of the scenes where he might have just been like, "Yeah, we're just kind of going through the motions here." Just say the lines so that we make sure that we've got the cameras in the right place and everything. And I wondered if he did that with other, especially Ice Cube, who honestly always to me seems like he's reading off of right. the script. Yeah, he's got a lot of personality and he's got a lot of charm, but it always feels like he's like a little stilted. He does a pretty good job in this, seeming a lot more naturalistic than most. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I I watching this, I was wondered why three years later, another guy who didn't come from the industry 
Kevin Smith and his would blow up. And people are like, the Kevin Smith, and everybody's doing that when Singleton, I think, is doing it. Is it because it's too naturalistic? Because I feel like he mixes that teenage and pop culture and the shagginess. Who did Slacker, Ryan? Link later. Link later. Link, oh, like, yeah. So I feel like he mixes those two guys' vibes really well. And I don't know why his career, like, he, he feels like that filmmaker's filmmaker, but the people. Mike. The peons out there, the media illiterate, are talking about Singleton all the can't time. Can't we do the America trick, though, where whenever you can't figure out what the origin or cause of something is, you just go, it's racism? Like, isn't yeah. it because this is a black movie that, that it doesn't get the same credit for having that hangout vibe to it? Probably. But, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, certainly. <laughs> Probably. I think if you're watching this, you can see that, like... About halfway through this movie, you're going to notice that like Linklater is either doing literally nothing or way too much, right? Like he's <laughs> he's moving his camera a ton and just like getting into like these sweeping zooms, which are actually rare, or shooting this like it's a TV show. And I don't mm. think that he would shoot this like a TV show unless, and I think that unless is I just want to watch these characters or these actors yeah. act, you know. And his hand is I don't a little know heavy wa- at times, right? Sometimes, yeah, but like when it's Wait, not. I'm sorry, you said Link later. Are you talking? Yeah, you, but you meant Singleton. Singleton I meant Singleton. Right? Yeah. Sorry. Okay, I just want to um, make sure. Luckily, I hang out with my parents a lot, and they never say what they actually. Yeah, it's mean always the say. opposite. So name. you just have to figure and out. Singleton like, is the yeah. exact opposite of Link later. So in a you lot just of ways. use context to figure out what proper noun people are really talking about. But uh, I, uh, if they weren't given bullet points, then they were allowed to. There, there was something going on where he was just right. like, "I can't do. I can't set up crazy camera angles. I have to just watch them play." You know, and that happens. That happens so many times where there's so many reactions to things that feel for the first time, or mm-hmm. you know, like they're not rehearsed, or there's so many one-offs that catch right. the actors. Like especially Ice Cube will say something that will catch the other three yes, off guard. Right. You know, man, I I I can tell there is something about him that doesn't quite translate to film. Yeah, that to hang out with this guy, he must be like one of the most easygoing, funny. Just run the room. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there is just something about it that doesn't find its way totally onto film. But he steals like almost every scene he's in, and, and yeah, he got he causes the other actors. But for some, go ahead, Mike. Was, out of the big three, he's kind of he's a bastard. Like. He's a dickhead more than Trey and Ricky are, but he is magnetic in a way. Oh yeah, so th- th- you, you you get why people want oh. to hang out with him, and he's the oh you're like, not uh, leader. Who's the kid from King uh, Game Mike. of Thrones that everybody hates? Oh, Damn. Joffrey. Oh. You're not Joffreying him. <laughs> no, you're not like you son of a bitch. No, I hate no, no. you. You're so well written that I hate you even more. Like he, I would, I, I want to hang out with him. Like you understand what his draw is for all the other that characters. That part where he mm-hmm. gets out of the car to go like walk over to Ferris and shoot him. Like it's in the middle of this tragic cycle of violence and as the audience you feel so complicit because some part of you can't be like this guy's bravura to steal the, the dune term. Like this guy's badassedness is such a draw even though yeah. it's so tragic and awful right now. Which I mean just screams death wish. Just screams yeah. that he knows like where he came up and like mm-hmm. I'm going to party quote unquote for as long as I can because I know it won't be long. Right. Good time, not a long time. I, I think that's one of the the magics of this movie is the casting of our big three is they are archetypes uh of the I'm gonna football, I have the kid yeah. early and I'm gonna make it the I gotta get right. out of here. Uh and and the the gangbanger that the news told us everybody was and they are so different on the surface, but you can see how their similarities are actually there because of those hangout scenes. And I think the, the three actors do such a good job at embodying the, we're pulling apart from each other, but they're still always coming back. Well, can we talk about Trey? Who's in the middle? Please mm-hmm. do. Does, 
I think that Ricky is the best Ricky, right? Like Ricky is he's such a fucking football Himbo. nerd. Like oh gosh, the, yeah. the only time I'm not so taking care of my kid is when Just I'm a watching retriever. You can hear him watching football highlights, probably of himself, yeah. like <laughs> in the background. And then we've got Doughboy, who is so very Doughboy, and like. Just to the point of stereotypes, I think for both of them, I think that they both are all just on this side of right. stereotype. Where where does Trey land for you guys? Where does Koopa's performance land for you guys? I mean, to me, it feels like he's he's straddling the two worlds. You know, like I mean that that he sees what being in world world is like. Right, he goes out to avenge Ricky. He's the one who like calls for mm-hmm. avenging Ricky. Meet but, me by house in five minutes. Yeah, yeah, and he wears the blood of Ricky. For the rest of a like that night, time. right? Yeah. yeah, he goes. I think to he sleep. sleeps in it. Yeah, he sleeps <laughs> wearing the wearing the blood of Ricky, and so he is anointed in that lifestyle. But he does ultimately reject it because I think, in, in maybe the simplistic understanding of the movie, he does have foundational parental love that is has th- instilled those- like a hope in him. And those parents say that his dad in their first scene yeah. say like, "You have something your little friends don't have." So like. It's it's so interesting to watch him. It's Daddy clearly Fishburne. his his dabbling into that world is almost just a rebellion against Daddy Fishburne, and because he's surrounded by it, and your life is more than just your who your parents are. But it like anytime he's like, "Well, I'm going to go hang with Doughboy and the boys," you could just see Fishburne and be like, mm, "If I say him no, he's just going to yeah. go harder." But like, what the fuck? But you know, it even- seems like it's hard to be a father. Yeah. Nah, come on. <laughs> Good luck to you, my friend. I have to say before we close out this question. To put it in terms of this is like a 1975 movie, that is for us extremely high praise, right? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really talk about what we all thought about the movie uh, in the intro. Um, I, the hangout, like noticing the hangout stuff of it, you know, like watching this movie a bunch as a kid and then going through the 1975 season with you two and then watching it again was crazy eye opening. And just how I never ever felt this director's pressure. To uh, move the plot along or give us the message that he thinks we need. There's a couple of scenes where, like, we, we might wow. talk about where he might have fumbled, but I don't, I think he fumble fumbled. I think he fumbled back into himself. Uh, <laughs> Fumbleaya. Uh, I cannot believe how this movie was. And then, like, you shoot it in a Hollywood way and you put some Hollywood music in the background and you release it by a studio, and it's a huge hit. But for the most part, this is just a 1975 dirty-ass shit movie, just like they made back then. Because it's a small story, ultimately, yeah. right? Like, I mean, it, that, that's what I think that's what the genius of it is, is that you have time to show the community that these boys belong mm-hmm. to. An and ensemble then, piece, but, a, but like a small movie. Focus. You know? Yeah, and because really what is it, it's about is about this one kid with so much promise who is just about to make it. And then he dies. And then his brother, who avenges him and also dies. But because the scope of that is actually very small, it gives them time to, like, really build up the emotional stakes. Mm -hmm. That scene where, like, Ricky is brought back to the house, dude, I I had my finger on the button. I wanted to fast forward so bad just because the raw emotion of that scene was very, very difficult. I know that my mother loves me way more than or way less than she loves Ricky. He's dead. Let's bring her back to the house. And let's see what happens. That's fucking fucked up. The other thing too, Greg, based on what you're saying is to have Trey be our eyes into the story, mm-hmm. you know, be our Charlie into the chocolate factory, but not just be this like vanilla idiot character, but yeah. instead have so many flaws 
and so many times. Oh, he's often bite. a prick. Yeah. In, yeah, in a way that's so interesting. Right. Well, I mean, you know, imagine like we get. We're going to talk about Furious Styles, I promise, soon. But imagine if this movie had been about the origin story of Furious Styles, because this yes. is obviously <laughs> a guy who like. Like put himself back together a little bit, but I bet he had all of all of these. Oh, when he was seventeen, when he knocked up Riva, I bet he was a piece of shit. When he decided he wanted to go by the moniker Furious (laughs) Styles, Styles. that wasn't his given name. No, (laughs) his first name is Jason. Does that change the movie for you? Yeah, I don't respect Jason. Furious, or any of his Argonauts, but we are going to get to talk about Mister Furious later. But until then, stay tuned. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Gotta be the number one reason to go to South Dakota. But I think anyone who's ever been to Mount Rushmore would agree with me when I say that the second you actually see it, you're like, this has just bored the shit out of me, and this is a waste of my time. Oh, I straight up stood there and looked at it for four seconds. Yeah, right? And I was like, where's my phone? I got to play some Clash of Clans. Because their heads are big, but you are so far away from them. So by the time, to- like, when you, by the time the light hits your eye, it looks very tiny, is how it, I think it works. Like, like, why did they do, li- like, giant heads, but they're actual sized penises at the bottom of the mountain? Yeah, I don't know. That was weird, though. I thought you would want to have those big presidential dongs just sticking out there, showing how proud America is. Who do you think is our most strapped president? Oh, no. There's, it's uh, Linda B. Johnson, right? Oh yeah, that's famously He's got sure. a very good. Moore. Oh, okay. Yeah, Fillmore, Fillmore, because he can film more. And you know that it was Lyndon Bain Johnson because he would show it to everybody. Yes, and that's so where he got his last name, right? <laughs> <laughs> Lyndon's B Johnson. Then, but it's come time for me to get some new suits. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. So I want to know what's fashionable, but not now. No, no, no. That'd be too easy. What was fashionable 30 years ago? Greg, this is my favorite Rushmore. Can I tell you why? You can't tell me why. Please do. Uh, it's basically because we get to not just pick the fashion, but we get to put it on a president. Yeah. You know, whether it's yeah. like a headband or pants or whatever, we're going to pick the president's head that it goes on. Like these presidents have ever worn pants before. And we God, sh- Linda B. Johnson, can you put some pants Get on? Get out of here, LBJ. Why did we even put you on Mount Rushmore? Now we regret it. Get that fucking monster hog out of here. But, do you, but don't go too far. Stick yeah. around. All right, Mike, we're going to go to you first. All right. What do you think should be on our mountain of fashion? 1991 was the height of of grunge sweeping through the main streams and flannel, whether you're wearing it or it's tied around your waist was everywhere. I would say, especially if it's tied around your waist, right? I wanted so bad to go with uh, knitwear. These Mm -hmm. motherfuckers just wore sweaters all the time, but it's got to be cold. Well, they were from cold places. If you remember, 1991 mostly took place in Seattle. Right. That's true. So it was a lot colder there. Southern California. We went from 90 to 92. And mm-hmm. they got to have 91 all to themselves. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. Well, I got to put it right up. Mike. On the mountain. If it's good enough for J2, son of Juggernaut, it's good enough <laughs> for me. <laughs> good J2 poll. <laughs> right. With a very deep J2 poll. Well, I guess, honestly, it's probably one of the surface comments you could make about J2, son of Juggernaut, right? Yeah. I don't even know if you've read it before. You may have just <laughs> stared at the covers. Just Ryan, the poster on your wall. Who do you think 
or what rather do you think should go on our mountain of fashion well Greg, there's two types of cool people in 1991 there's the cool people who are wearing flannel of course unironically but ironically but unironically right yeah and then there's the people who dress the looney tunes up in the most gangster clothes that they could possibly <laughs> wear and put those people wearing clothes on their clothes yeah so you'd get like um you would see somebody wearing very saggy jeans and then on the back of the very saggy jeans would be the tasmanian devil himself wearing super <laughs> saggy jeans, right? You think he could spin around that fast if he had baggy jeans like that? I don't think so. <laughs> they would just fly off, right? I, I can't believe that once again we let Mike start talking about the physics of the Tasmanian <laughs> devil spinning around. Jaggings at best. Well, as somebody who spent a fair amount of time in 91 at uh, Magic Mountain, and Magic Mountain was like the home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. These uh, That's where gangsters went to live and die. Yeah. And... Is this not all offensive that the Looney, the Looney Tunes, they weren't gangsters, the Looney Tunes, but they would just dress in this no. fashion. Well, right? I have, just like you and Ryan is, in the same year, they were culturally appropriate. Yeah. My next one might be more offensive, Greg, and then you'll put that <laughs> on the maybe pile. But. <laughs> right. but this one's going right on the mountain. I really can't wait to see Thomas Jefferson just wearing <laughs> a jacket that has like all the characters on and then the it. hat is just Tweety Bird with a sideways hat that also has Tweety Bird with a sideways hat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys saw these like these hangouts in Boys in the Hood right uh-huh. yeah. yeah just imagine what you would have done oh that guy has an Uzi I have a Tweety Bird hat with a sideways Tweety Bird hat. Oh, you don't want to fuck with that guy. On my Tweety Bird hat. In one of the hangouts, one of the people hanging out was actually Yosemite Sam. (laughs) He made those young black kids uncomfortable. (laughs) All right, Mike. What else do you think needs to go on our '91 fashion mountain? I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot and look at the 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 fashion of the ladies for a bit, and from high couture to and like the runway down to like Courtney Love and the grunge baby doll dresses my friend with the the poofier sleeves and then like almost mini skirt length yeah. dress but one dress and it's like they either there's torn jeans underneath it or it's the very fancy like Cindy Crawford way but but these weird let's put women in children's dolls dresses for whatever reason was huge in 1991 and who knows why we're not going to go into why. If you showed a kid who was born in 19, or let's say 2010, 11 years old right now, about to hit their fucking prime, a picture of Cindy Crawford, do they even think she's hot? Is this like showing the, showing us pictures of the Renaissance ladies, those Probably. chubby ladies eating fruit? Uh, well, I, I think hot, Ryan. her bone structure is timeless, right? Cindy goddamn Crawford. Yeah. She's got no curves, though, and I, I guess I, curves are, are in right now. Yeah. So That thick booty. You know what? I bet modern day kids would be like, I don't feel like judging her body. That's true. Yeah. Those jerks. And how dare you show me that picture? Fuck you. How about yeah, that? Like why make me maybe you should turn this around and ask yourself why you were approaching children and showing them park. pictures of Cindy Crawford. <laughs> hey kids, you think she's hot? Hey, Nick Nolte, get out of here. <laughs> oh, I'm going, I gotta go. I'm gonna put the baby doll dresses on the maybe pile, but the Fair. idea of putting Lincoln in one of these bad boys <laughs> oh, I think Lincoln is probably gonna gams. get it. Notoriously attractive. Ryan, what do you think? What else do we need to have on here? I want to talk about uh, specifically a company called Cross Colors and uh, more vaguely uh, just Rasta Colors in general. Uh, Rasta Colors were green, yellow, red, and black or white. Uh, And they were everywhere. You could find them on the... What's that cute word for the blankets that people would cut a hole in the middle of? The drug rugs? Oh. You know, remember those? The ponchos? Mm -hmm. The ponchos, yeah. 
Uh, but cross colors was this very important thing where we would bring um, the all of the colors of like the African flag to the shoulders of leather jackets and things that look otherwise very tough. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like I, almost paneled. Mm-hmm. Would be like a, red panel here, black panel here. Yellow, it was green. a way of saying like um, this is a very like distinct cultural look, and we need to like treat it with a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. And because we're black people, we have about six minutes to wear this before white people take it, and we never get it. Back and again. they have it; they've taken and it. And that, that's it. That's it. it. Did Adrian Brody it? is now wearing it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Google Adrian Brody and Rasta, because I think that that's the kind of thing we shouldn't forget. No. For my birthday, Mike made me a video of a train coming at the screen with Adrian Brody <laughs> hanging out as the engineer going, brat. <laughs> it was my favorite birthday present ever. I would love to hear the meeting where he pitched that. You guys, I got the best idea. Oh, he did not. He famously yeah. did not. Oh, yeah. He that just, was all that improvised. Was, he He's soloed like, that. I bet they won't let me do this hilarious bet, best cutting edge comedy, so I won't tell them. Wow. Now he's just another bit player on Succession. All right, Mike, I've got a couple maybes here, but mm-hmm. I want a couple more. So give me another one for potential mountain. This I, I'm counting this as fashion, and we, we've talked about the most famous uh, owner of this for a long time. I'm going to say blown out hair with the dark roots showing. It's the Cindy Crawford hair of like the, the golden, but like not 80s big and dumb, okay. just like lioness mane in the back with the, the darker roots there. Uh, and it somehow fucking pulled off. Okay, it was so huge. Big hair, dark don't roots. Don't care. Big hair, dark roots, don't care. More boots. All right. I feel like I could picture that as something that took place in the 90s. Ryan? Okay, so uh, because Greg is sweeping through, like making sure that these are all babies, I'm going to go back to grunge, and I am going to say that fucking knitwear, because people would just wear... Uh, like button-up sweaters that only grandmas would wear, mm-hmm. or sea captains, or sea captains, so cozy, or even like th- I think that ninety-one grunge was the beginner of sort of created hipsterism. Like, isn't it crazy that I'm dressing like an old person uh-huh. and so many sweaters, so many things that your grandma would give you for Christmas that you would hate? Now it's cool. It's so funny how like ninety-one, we're all kids. Grandma gives us a sweater. We're like, die, bitch. Now, as adults, somebody gives me a sweater for Christmas. I'm like, I love you. I think bitch. the sweater I'm currently wearing right now. Make 100 more until you die, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to make a choice from these. Let's see. Baby doll dresses has got to be on there. Yes. Because we got to do it for the ladies, especially considering what the next question is going to be about. And then, yeah, the what did you call it? Besides Rasta, Ryan, what did you call it? Color what? culture was the... Cross culture. Cross colors cross culture. was the... Uh... Cross... Colors. Now I know who's gonna want to wear that, Jefferson, but I think we ought to keep <laughs> him away from that. So let's get these outfits on people. First of all, let me give you your points, Mike. Mike. You're the baby doll, Ryan. Ryan. All right. Who's getting first of all, who's getting the baby doll dress? I gotta know. Who's it gonna be on? Can we do that for Jefferson? Like That's fuck him be for Jefferson. being racist. Let's put him in a baby doll dress. Okay. Oh, even though we know there's better legs up on that, fine. We do, okay, listen, we know there's better legs up there, but we're putting that aside because it's very important. How about the flannel? I think Washington would look killer in a flannel. He's got isn't the that, hair. I got to interrupt here. Isn't that total Abe Lincoln vibes, a flannel? Mm. Right? Rugged. I think, I think uh, Lincoln wears it all as a shirt and Washington wraps it around his waist. Okay, well, I'm putting Abe 
next to flannel. The Looney Tunes look. This is probably another one Jefferson's going to try to worm his way up to the front. He's wearing a dress, though, yeah. Uh, okay, I would move the dress and I would put uh, I would give him the Looney Tunes, but have like Hamilton and the other guy who's the Burr have uh-huh. them in the ninety one urban clothes. On yes, his shirt. firing at each other. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that's very good. Uh, and then, um, well, that's everybody. So the, historically, on the mountain, we will remember that there's Abe Lincoln wearing a flannel. Uh, Looney Tunes, uh, Hamilton also on the mountain, and Burr wearing the uh, cross culture and then in a baby doll dress jefferson wow a lot of presents got kicked off this mountain for burn hamilton and i love it some of them got moved off honestly i don't think that they have played well recently people are way crazier about hamilton i gotta say if there was a rushmore of rushmores this one would be on it yeah it would be definitely one of them can we get a picture of this on our next batch of shirts of course yeah, just say yes right yeah definitely <laughs> oh totally consider it done <laughs> well man i'm gonna have to get me some new suits that as well when we come back one more of our very interesting questions angela bassett tyra farrell regina king nia long and Alyssa rogers what's this film's relationship with women is it commenting on young men's view of women or does the film itself have an issue this, I'm going to put this, it wants to be commenting, and then Tyler Durden theory, it gets lost in the, I don't, the film's not taking Doughboy and Trey to task of, and Ricky, of how they treat right. women. It wants to, like, these are strong female characters, but then the movie also forgets to maybe spend time with them and to see what their life experience is <laughs> like at all. Is it the movie's, the, if the movie turned around and was like, hey, you should definitely treat them better and then they like learned a lesson is that no i don't wants? want that but like we don't know any interiority into any of the women what's the movie's title Mike. boys into hood uh-huh okay so and, women just don't matter no that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that's that, what like, you're saying this is a real this is this is supposed to be like a real slice of life of what it's like to be out there in these particular streets mm-hmm. at this particular time and this is how people were talking to women oh shit yeah that doesn't bother me it, it was yeah, that part of it i don't think is what he has an issue and with. i think it's it's actually pretty interesting to show here's how doughboy is sexist the most of 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 the main characters and then here's how trey is sexist he says i never thought i'd cry in front of a female before like even our our, our good boy trey says shit like this and then and then ricky but what just, happens after trey says that he has, sex. he has sex he has sex so maybe that's you should how cry in trey was going to have sex yes well, it's not. Well, pride, bullying like her that- about her religion didn't work, so I guess I should try to manipulate <laughs> her in a different way. My favorite part is when they finally agree to have sex, and she takes the cross, which is like on the front of her, so it's like between her and. Which oh, you don't want it to see. And then she scoots it along Ooh. the chain away from them. Uh, Jesus, hang on one second. Here, let me get you. <laughs> Jesus, let me get you out wheel. of the danger zone. <laughs> but I do think that Trey is enough for uh, us. Like he treats women poorly in this movie, specifically Brandy. Right? Yeah. A little oh, bit yeah. his mom, but specifically Brandy, and then. He stops. He Trey, Trey is the one who realizes because maybe Furious is his father that like this is probably not the way to treat people. Mm, and right. then he is open and honest with her and has way more sex <laughs> in yes. this movie than Doughboy does. As far as we know, Doughboy is a virgin. And yeah, I totally dude. like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Doughboy was just like 
Actually, no. He's no, got no big one's ever had sex with me. Yeah, absolutely. He's like violent. He is the, the like the hood incel. Well, he never stops we don't talking. He the, we, we see Doughboy go to jail when he's ten, and then the uh, next scene he's getting they're welcoming him back. So we don't know if he was in gangs in like is it? Are we just assume he's been in and out his whole childhood? Then yeah, because I got the feeling like that this that this barbecue isn't his getting back from getting arrested from that time that we saw. No, it's like that was the beginning of his being in and out. Yeah. And so now this is just another time he's out. But yeah, I think he's been associated with with gangs the entire time. But yeah, yeah, the only thing you ever hear him say to a woman is like, shut up. And then the rest of the time he's like, girls are so dumb and you should never talk to a girl. And I don't like girls, right, everybody? (laughs) Don't I not like girls? (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that it's still okay to fault the movie for not showing that you can show that but for failing to show the experience of the women in the environment or to fully like reckon with any of those characters they're more because aren't they kind of rendered almost background in a lot of this despite the fact that they're played by some of our greatest actresses but if john singleton wants to make a movie and i'm not arguing with you but i'm just saying john singleton wants to make a movie about how women this is the way that men treat women Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show how they all get destroyed by their environment in that way that they treat women. And so so much, in fact, that I'm going to name the movie Boys and Not Men in the Hood. Is this doing enough to show that, like, this is this is all terrible? This is all... Uh, everything is terrible. I, I yeah, definitely I think, think the movie's saying literally everything is terrible. The, the only... I... I I don't want the message where, like you said, Ryan, turning around and be like, isn't that bad? But the closest the movie comes to saying it's furious. Furious at certain points just stops and be like, hey, Ricky, hey, Trey, you know this is my message, the whole message of the movie, right? And so I guess if you have a character who's already doing that, you could slip in of women or people. And 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 there's a furious point, too. And I know we're going to talk about furious, too. But furious has to do something that none of these other boys do because he's a man where uh, Reva, played by goddamn Angela Bassett. Seriously. Says... I, I'm about to make the scene. I make a scene, so you sit the fuck down. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Okay." And he, you can see him weighing all of his options, but he he's not like, "Listen, bitch." Right where okay. all the boys would be, except for I'd say uh, Golden Retriever Ricky. His sexism is so interesting because he doesn't call women hoes and bitches to their face. He doesn't say they're all stupid. He just he lets just them raise. His constantly child. ignores his mom yes. and his baby mama. <laughs> right as she comes in, it's like you have to get something for the meal I'm cooking you. And he's like, "Please get out of the way. I'm trying to watch this commercial." <laughs> But I do have to say, Reva is a good example because she says something that I think is the most like pro-feminist message in the entire movie, which is like, Furious, thank you for raising our kid, but you are just doing what society has told you is enough. Right. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're still not doing really enough. You're just doing what society has deemed enough because men are asked so little that to simply be a presence in your son's life, you feel like you need so and, many and, congratulations and that's a crazy point because furious walks around with this swagger and part right. of that swagger is i stayed in my son's life right yeah. you know like he he does get and chips for that insecure her, just did an episode about this her saying that is a bookend to him saying to young trey look how your friends will turn out they're not going to have anybody yeah. you have me and so he's still kind of fucked up because trey still starts to go down that path because he does just think being there i mean Nope, we're getting too much into Furious. Not going to do it. I'm not going to fall for your tricks. <laughs> you want me to talk about Furious, but I won't. Mike, 
Very good, Mike. Way to turn it around. Who of the, of the women who does the best, who turns in the best performance? Because again, we have some of our greatest female actresses. I, I want to give it up to Tyra Farrell, who um, in the beginning of the movie is basically as coked out as one of the neighbors who lets their kids run into the middle of the street. Uh-huh. And then when Everybody we come back, <laughs> yeah, when we come back 10 years later, she sort of has her shit together. Maybe it's because of Ricky. Her and Ricky do wear uh, maroon and gold when the USC recruiter comes <laughs> over. Like I love how they put the football colors on when that guy comes over. But uh, I think she does a good job mostly of saying, sort of saying why it's, awesome to have a son like Ricky and why it's really shitty to have a son like Doughboy. She's not putting in the work for Doughboy. Yeah, she's wrote like, him off and is like, well, I'll put all my energy into the, the good one. They though. got a real Baromir, right. Faramir energy, right? Yes. Like, I mean, as soon as Ricky dies, uh, Doughboy's like, shit, dude, I know exactly what she's gonna say. Yeah. She's gonna be so pissed that the good one died Three, the bad one. Two, yeah. one. Oh, you're saying it. You're saying it. <laughs> and you're hitting me. And you're blaming me. Okay. Is that he goes Legend to of Dewey Cox where the dad always what? screams yes. that? Yes. Wrong kid died. <laughs> one of the most heartbreaking moments for in this movie for me as a kid was when uh, Doughboy just wants to get the nephew, his nephew. Right. Just let me get him away from his father's corpse. And he's so untrusted. And so blamed for the death yeah. that like he is just hit and slapped yeah. instead of just let me get the child away from his father's corpse. Because he's really the most tragic character, Doughboy, right? Yeah. Because he's like, this is so fucked up. What we're doing is so fucked up. And he can't stop himself from doing it. There's that part where he's like, man, people just want to shoot. Like they just want to pop off their mouths and they just want to shoot. And someone's like, that's you, Doughboy. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's totally me. <laughs> Man, it's like he the 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 tragedy of being like I'm not blind to this. Yeah, glimmers right. of awareness. I see this. Yeah, and it sucks. But that's that the that's how they make their decisions. Ricky and Trey make their decisions based on I'm getting the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. And Doughboy is like, well, I know what my fate is. There's no way out of here. Yeah, die a hero or die a bitch. But I'm gonna die, and I'm gonna die soon. And Doughboy can't read Chirons like we can. <laughs> he dies in two weeks after this movie's over. He had no idea well, if he could just read that, that. There's no better legacy than starting with a let's talk about the ladies question and then ending with just talking about all the male characters again. When we come back, it's time for trivia. Trivia. You heard the robo. The robo. You heard the robot. You know what time it is. It is time to do trivia. Gentlemen, ring in by saying your name. Ryan. Ryan. Yes. Make sure you let me finish all the instructions and reading the question. Some of these are lengthy, so I can get maximum ha-has. <laughs> All right. What did the actors never know was coming so that their reactions would be real? Ryan. Mike. Ryan. Gunshots. Gunshots. Shoot. Okay. That's some come and see Ryan. shit. Is that cool? Directors do this a bunch. Mike. Ryan. Ryan. This movie is good forever. So, yes. Yes, it's cool. Mike. Mike. Uh, no, you hired actors. Let them act. It's okay yeah. if they're acting. Michael I'm starting said. to get a little tired of these stories where people are like terrified so that we can see their very real reactions on screen. That's not acting. That's you terrified people. You're not allowed to do just anything because you're directing a movie. Like you don't have the rights to do whatever you want to these people. That scene where those four Chicago Bulls after like were they all like they're all looking at everybody's cars and those mm-hmm. four Chicago Bulls go back to their car and pull an Uzi out. I thought that I had my volume at a reasonable level, and they pulled that gun out, and I ducked just like everyone else did. <laughs> yeah. It was so loud. Uzis are loud, you guys. 
Uzis. You know, this movie, we don't talk about it much on the show, or we haven't been, but the music direction or like the sound direction of this movie is very good because the quiet parts are quiet. Yeah. And then when somebody starts firing a Mac-10 into the air, you feel that it. part's loud. <laughs> like, there's a scene where Brandy is trying to do homework. Yeah. And there's a gunshot. Uh, She's like, fuck. That, that's one of those shit. real flinches we've t- been talking about. Yeah. Trey is told to rake leaves off his dad's lawn. What is notable about these leaves? Ryan. Ryan. They're orange. They're orange. Mike, what do you say? Mike, yeah, I mean, leaves don't really fall like that in California. Yes. Mike. There's no trees like that on that like on that whole street. There's like a couple palm trees, but there's no trees to produce those leaves. So Furious shook those leaves down. Yeah. Gotta teach a kid I, somehow. I, ho- I seriously hope somebody got fired for that. Uh, 1991 is the year the movie was released and partially set, with the first part being set in 1984. What movie and its sequel were, were released in 1984 and 1991? Right. Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> Terminator. And Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Right. Yeah, boy. Damn. <laughs> what is Dookie's constantly sucking on pacifiers based on? Ryan. Mm. Ryan. Maggie from The Simpsons? No, Mike. Mike. General babies. Just babies <laughs> being out there in the streets. I'm general babies. <laughs> uh, no, the actor really did that to get off uh, smoking cigarettes. And John T- Singleton thought it was cool. It probably It's probably scared so many white people. <laughs> they're sucking on pacifiers i find that disturbing to look up and see a dude just sucking on a pacifier i, I assumed but, it was like uh, hearkening to like rave culture is a common yeah right okay yeah very rave energy who turned down the role of trey styles to focus on his tv show mike ryan mike william smith one will smith mike it was kind of he was considered for it i thought turned down just sounded better but later he would work with who played Brandy. She was Lisa on Fresh Prince, and she was great in that. That was one of his longest relationships on the show. Well, congratulations. I had the fattest crush on Lisa growing up. Really? Oh, Over yeah. Tyra Banks? Was she on that show, too? Oh, she worked in the college store that I he worked at, that. selling college merchandise? God damn, Tyra Banks. <laughs> That's why you have God. such a collection of college merchandise now? Yep, it just says college. In so many ways. God damn, Tyra Banks. <laughs> Singleton's Oscar nom made him the youngest to ever be considered. How old was he? Ryan. Ryan. 31. No. Get ready to be more depressed than that. Mike. Mike. 35. No, that would be, uh, that'd be Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Ryan. <laughs> 28. No, he was 24. That would have been my next oh, guess. Who did he unseat? Uh, has Who had been the youngest nominated? Mike. Steven Mike. Spielberg. No, sir. Not Steven Spielberg. Ryan. Ryan. Anna Paquin. It was Orson Welles. Wow. wow. Is that not the new coming of the guard or what? Yeah, right? I mean, that. I just anytime you can like replace Orson Welles in anything, even if it's like a pee commercial, I think that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I want to see John Singleton's pee commercials. Commercial for urine? <laughs> in you got to do it. In 1980, Orson Welles narrated what hugely successful made-for-TV adaptation of the 1975's James Clavell novel, Shogun. M- Mike? Mike. Transformers? No, sir, not Transformers. Although he did, he was the narrator in that too. Or no, he was like Unicron's voice. Yeah, he was Unicron. What is the question? I, I, so, I didn't know the question, so I just <laughs> said a word. <laughs> in 1980, Orson Welles narrated what hugely successful made-for-TV adaptation of the 1975 James Clavell novel Shogun. Ryan. Ryan. Shogun. Shogun. <laughs> Ryan. That's fucked up. <laughs> Uh, who did Singleton want in the movie before they started feuding with Ice Cube? Ryan. Mike. Ryan. 
Dr. Dre? No, Mike. Easy E? Well, okay. It was all of NWA. When he fell out with NWA, they were supposed to be in the movie. And then John Singleton was like, that's going to be awkward. <laughs> so that's why there's like an Easy E looking guy in the movie. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Is that like, Chris? Like, yeah, like seriously yeah. wearing an Easy E costume. So I think you should both get a Mike. point for that because right. that was part of it. Uh, Ice Cube owns the car he drove in this movie. What type of car is it? Shit. Ryan. You guys got to know cars for the Greg shows, Ryan. Uh, a 1981 Porsche Deluxe Ford Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying Porsche was good. Mike, do you have a guess? 1989 Porsche. It was a Chevy Impala. Come on, there's not really nice cars in this movie, guys. There's not going to be a Porsche. Are Porsche nices? Okay. Yes, Por- Are Porsche <laughs> nices. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Greg. 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 <laughs> I'm fat, so I burp and fart. Sorry, I just have to spend some time with the soundboard. I'm feeling very frustrated right now. All right. Uh, what type of car does Trey drive? Ryan. Ryan. That is a Volkswagen. Hell yeah. VW Beetle. Ryan. Good job, Ryan. Are we Beatles guys? Are we Beatle guys? Ryan. Yes. Ryan. I, do you mean music or car? I mean the car. Uh no, they were uh, invented for Nazis by Nazis. Oh come on, every car. They're fin bin. Every car. Right. What do you say, Mike? They're adorable. I love them. More cars should have yeah. whimsy. Yeah. Mike. More cars should have. More Nazis should be whimsical, is what you're saying. Try to find a major auto manufacturer in the 1930s and 40s that didn't build cars for the or build planes and trucks for the Nazis. Even Ford did because Ford factories were commandeered. By the Nazis. Any hoozles. John Singleton pitched this movie to Lawrence Fishburne on the set of what 1986 kids TV show? Ryan. Ryan. Pee Wee's Playhouse. Pee Wee's Playhouse. Ryan. Because Lawrence Fishburne was what? Sheriff? Uh, no, he was uh, Cowboy Curtis. Cowboy Curtis, yeah. Walking along train tracks to see a dead body and title cards that tell us the fates of our lead characters are allusions to what 1986 movie? Ryan. Mike. Ryan. Uh, Stand by Me, directed by Rob Reiner. Stand by. I said the director to hope that you guys like me more. I like you less. <laughs> you know what? Right. I like you more. Who wrote the short story "The Body" that Stand by Me is based on? Mike. Ryan. Mike. Stephen King. Stephen King. Mike. Ryan. Ryan. From the book Different Seasons. Oh damn! Is that true? Fuck you! Don't give him what you don't even know if it's true. What if it's I think. It, I think it probably is, Mike. <laughs> That's one of his collections of short stories. Skeleton Crew, that's another one. Apt if it Pupil bleeds, was another story. Another also, one. Rita Hayworth in The Shawshank Redemption was also another one. Boom. Another. Ryan, answering questions literally nobody <laughs> asked. My biography. <laughs> Stand by me. Sound off. Ryan. Mike. Ryan. Not a good movie. Uh, Mike. Rob Reiner's, one of Rob Reiner's lesser movies in that era. It's kind of stupid. It's kids cursing. And that's a lot like grandma's rapping. A little bit of it goes a long way. Mike? I, I find it heartwarming and love it. Yeah. Mike. Kids cursing, sign me up. Although it did bring up the uh, all-time question of Goofy's a person, but Pluto's a pet. What? <laughs> Considering we lived in super safe neighborhoods far from this setting, do you think we spent too much of our childhoods worried about the Crips and the Bloods? Mike. Ryan. Ryan. I I think that South Central was a dangerous place. I think that the the odds of me coming in like running into a crypt or a blood was next to zero. Do you guys agree that as kids we were like kind of wrapped up in like if you were gonna wear blue or red, you were like watch out. My yeah. middle school banned Raiders and Kings. 
Los Angeles Kings equipment. There was That's a, type, a hockey team. There was a type of shoe called British Knights, yeah. BKs. And a lot of schools, a lot of just like white neighborhood schools in the suburbs banned them because Crips wore them as blood killer shoes. And then they started talking about like, should blue and red no longer be allowed in the school? <laughs> Those the are two colors. main colors. Guys, stop watching 60 Minutes. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? We may have contributed that. Contributed to that when we called 60 Minutes one of the greatest shows of 1990. Iconic. We, Iconic. we called it one of the most watched shows. Yeah. That's okay. a different than greatest. Wikipedia called it that, and we agreed. We nodded sagely. We, we agreed. Nodded. So, why did we nod so much that one night? Mm, yeah, dude. yeah, it didn't make good, it didn't make good podcasts. Night. How's like the nodding podcast? We just mm. put some incense on and nodded till the night was over. <laughs> Until we nodded off to sleep. That is the end of trivia. When we come back, a third and final question. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpotfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review. Bye! How truly integral to the movie and everything the movie is trying to say are both Lawrence Fishburne and Furious Styles. It's the Furious Styles question. Let's go off! Mike. All right, finally, it's about Lawrence <laughs> goddamn Fishburne. Boom! Lori Burnsfish. Yes. Um, I, w- I I really like the acting styles oh! of this movie. I do think that it's weird and it's a, a little awkward, a little amateur. Yeah. But I do think that in a very endearing way, though, right? Right. I do think that John Singleton is trying to be like, "What if we put a camera on the actual people?" But w- Lawrence Fishburne is a fully trained professional actor yes. who is acting circles around right. all of these motherfuckers. Why I think that is a credit right. to the movie and Singleton knowing it is that all these boys in the aforementioned hood are acting. Like yeah. they're all throwing different personas what they're trying to throw out there, right? And but and Furious also has the persona, but what Lawrence Fishburne crushes is he so obviously sees himself in all of these boys right. and is like, I don't have the emotional energy to do this for all of them. But I will try to do it for Trey, at least. I know. And that's why this movie is so amazing to me, is because John Singleton, as Greg, you said before, he was 24. Yes. What a uh, jerk. Is somehow in Sick the... to my stomach. <laughs> somehow in the middle of Trey and Doughboy mm-hmm. and Furious. You know, like, he's obviously old enough and mature enough to make a movie. So he is struggling with the POV. And the yeah. POV is not white business. The POV battle in this movie is Furious over... Doughboy. Yeah. And I I can just imagine him saying, John Singleton saying to Lawrence Fishburne, I wrote this speech. Hey, man, we're at a billboard, right? And this is like one of the most infamous and famous 
scenes from the movie. <laughs> like, because a lot of a lot of people talk shit on the scene, but I think it actually is perfect. I think there's uh, a lot. There's moments in this movie you can talk shit on. I don't think that is one of them. It's he I, is. He is an order. The character himself is an order yeah. and yeah. wants to run a room. So when people but, like, just walk over, the, they you make watch sense. the whole neighbor. Every aspect of a yeah. black neighborhood walks. Like every archetype walks up. And now like, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think about our neighborhood. <laughs> but I can still also see John Singleton being. I want you to read my script line for line mm-hmm. when you act, but also saying, "Hey, Larry, I love what you're doing with Furious." Uh, here's some. Bu- I don't need any bullet points. Get the fuck out of here. I'm in front of a billboard, and it's time for me to fucking go. And his message, Furious's message, is ultimately the most hopeful one, right? Because so many people are either like uh, Ricky is looking for a way out. Mm-hmm. For him, hope is somewhere else. Trey, that's the same thing with right. him. He's and Trey's looking, supposed to be the middle ground. Yeah. And Trey is looking for a way out. He and just uh, is a more realistic way out, I guess. And Trey's mom, Reva, is also she like she's got basically out. out. I mean, she uh, gets she was in a shitty apartment, got her masters, yeah. and then was at the like top floor, like in a suite. The single bed yeah, that yeah. I think that's the same exact apartment that they used in Night Moves. Uh-huh. Like it's like th- this is like the most expensive apartment in all of LA, and they occasionally like to just put a college student in it or a woman. <laughs> who was still paying down her student debt at one point she reached off screen and then brought back a cup of tea like she has <laughs> multiple butlers Just a butler off camera but so she has made it out right yeah furious is the only one who's like there can be hope here mm-hmm. we can do it here i'm going to help people invest in homes here not somewhere else. I'm going to preach the message of we have to improve this neighborhood right here, mm-hmm. not go somewhere else. We need to make this place better, and, and we can do it if we can believe in ourselves. I think that scene's so important because throughout this, like... Greg. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Greg, that was a great oh, point. Nice. Uh, throughout so much of it, you're like, why did why did she send Trey there if she's also always worried about him? Why right. is Furious there? And then was that, that a scene, lateral neighborhood or a... No, you, worst neighborhood. You know, one thing that happened, I think, in that is that um, the neighborhood got way worse in that intervening uh, seven okay. years. You know, it's like it, it's kind of a rough place before that, but I think it's more like it is a couple of streets away from a really bad right. part of town, and then the and, streets and get. I don't know if you guys noticed the camera hanging on the Reagan poster. Uh-huh. Yeah, dude. about what is making the neighborhood worse. And Honestly, the, yes. The dude. dangerous guys in '84 were. Guys who are going to bully little kids and steal their football. There's not oh, yeah. guns going off other places. There's right. definitely an escalation. Yeah, and it, it's it's a reminder that like when everybody was just leading their normal lives, the world that they were in just got worse around them. Like irrespective of right. what they were doing, like because they looked up of and went, what Ronald Reagan. I really do think that like it's not, he's not just like giving the finger in that. It's like very much. That's a way in which you are the villain. Yeah, yeah. not not the guys in the Chicago Bulls costume. Yeah, it's you, Reagan. You yeah. are the villain, and not the white cop, and not even the black cop, because well, they, that black cop is pretty villainous. Yeah, that guy's pretty so. bad, yeah. but but his whole deal is not half as bad as the sort of like cultural shift that right, took place right. between eighty four and ninety one. And when the when the black cop uh, puts Trey against the car and makes him cry that one tear, you you are like thinking. What did society do to this black cop? You know, oh, like, well, yeah, the black cop is there to shit. He's a foil of Furious specifically. I think this is showing yeah. like these are two older black dudes who ha- are you going to raise them right and give them talks, but give them enough leeway to make their decisions, or are you going to try to scare the kid into being better? And that's obviously what the the black cop's angle is. But and like, who's the same cop from? 
before. I don't right? know. I have to say, yeah, they're, they're one-two punch. Yeah. Feel like the I same partners. I have to say, I don't think his his idea is to scare these kids straight. His idea is to be like awful to them and for it to be allowed because he's a cop right? and to feel power. Like this he's is this is how type, I'm gonna feel. I can either feel power gang, by like right? being a drug lord or by yeah, being this cop. Being That's cop. how what he thought. Yeah. But I want to get back to the 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 furious billboard speech because. Something happens in that scene that I thought I found specifically crazy, which is Furious going. Furious is a dedicated dad and a loving dad, but not a dad that I agree with all of his mm-hmm. motives and motivations, right? No, like, like when he asks his son if he's gotten a piece of pussy yet. Right. Like, that's not something that that's I would probably ask my son. When he will talk to him after he's come back with the day his best that's friend the, got that's shot. That's the big yeah. one is that uh, he is coming back again with Ricky's blood, and Trey will live the rest of his life with Ricky's blood on his clothes. He will never change. But uh, Furious closes the door on him. And yeah. I'm not saying, but there's, you can't argue that Furious doesn't care, right? Yeah. Furious loves his son and wants the best for his son and is doing things that he thinks will make his son better. Mm-hmm. But the billboard scene is crazy because it, it, it always struck me because Furious is saying black money has to pay for all of this stuff and we must right. cut white money out. And I don't think that that is a good business strategy. I always thought that that was a weird like isolation thing that Furious was doing until I watched it this last time and I figured out what Singleton was saying. And it's these movies. It's the movies mm. that he's talking about. The stories have to be told by black actors with black Why? writers, with black producers, with black directors. That's how we get our story out. And so Furious is doing it in the only way that he can with but like you know we have to buy these houses so they can't buy us out and they can't right. gentrify us and blah 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 but no forever before boys in the hood there was always a white hand on the mouse over all of these black stories and then the story becomes like and even after this right that story gets reduced in so many of these movies to black and white relations right, right. like that's the only story to be told and, and like shit, that there's man, no like even 42 focuses on branch ricky more than right like, yeah. too much exactly like harrison ford or how i call him bill murray is the hero of that movie and no black stories need to be told and in a way that like this reminded me watching this movie reminded me of their eyes were watching god because when zora and Hurston wrote their eyes were watching god it was thought by like black intelligentsia at the time that you shouldn't write a story just about black people, that every mm-hmm. story should be about how white people are actively oppressing black people because more than just being art, it was supposed to like help further the cause of everybody. Right. But she writes, their eyes were watching God, a story just almost exclusively about black people, black people as heroes and black people as villains and black people as failures and black people as successes. And that's what this story is, right? Uh, Boys in the Hood is about the interiority of black lives and not just always the story about how they get oppressed by white people, how they get defined. But how that like how actually they are totally living these lives with barely mentioning white people or seeing white people or like the other thing with the uh, eyes are watching God thing is to like. You know what? If we're gonna make black movies, they have to be pursuit of happiness. They have yeah. to. They have to star Will Smith, elevate, be so uplifting, and, and yeah, and they have to elevate uh, just this one black character into one of the good, the ones. white world, yeah. right? And this is here is how you know the uh, the hood is terrible, right. and here's why it's great, and here is the true story of what is actually happening here. 
That is I, the I, movie that needs to be made. That's what Furious was talking about in front of the bill. That's the key is that it's not, I, I think it's not trying to be like, here's why it's bad, here's why it's good. The, the true story of what you just said, I think, it's is the true. focal point. Is it has everything. Like, I, I think these are some of the most fanta- fascinating protagonists because of that. Right. That the, and the lack of acting or the poor acting, whatever you want to say, is part of that is it wraps up in that to- it feels very real. I totally agree. If you want to talk about it as like a time capsule of 91 or if you want to talk about it as if like this is what John Singleton wanted every second of it. This is what he actually wanted. I don't care. Either way, Boys in the Hood is exactly the, the fucking pop culture bomb that 91 needed mm-hmm. 91 needed at that time and now like i still think it's just as impactful now and oh, for it, sure in another right. i don't know if he had just read their eyes are watching god or if he likes their eyes are watching god but in another way that it's like their eyes are watching god is that um it celebrates just the like human interactions in their eyes are watching god so much of what's good about that book is people just chatting and because they're so creative and they're so funny and everything they say is like has so much character to it. And isn't that what we get in so many of the discussions here that it's just nice to hear them talking about whatever it is they're talking right. about? Watch the watch walls. Watch how walls work in this movie. And when there's a barbecue and all of the walls are blocked off, there is literal peace and mm. partying and happiness. There's a couple of problems, right? There's like sexism that maybe we should solve that they're working the on. The meat isn't being turned enough. The, and there's no, the meat and yeah. like, where is the food? Yeah. Where is the food? <laughs> and who's going to get it first? But yeah, but for the most part, it is basically eaten. And when those walls open up, like if there's an alleyway mm. where other people can get in, whether it's the cops or the Chicago Bulls wearers, that is where shit happens. Right. Speed round. Speed round. Was Singleton a Jordan-hating Lakers fan, seeing as how all the so-called villains are dressed head-to-toe in Bulls gear? That was a lot of Bulls gear, bro. (laughs) It's red, right? Yes, Mike. Mike. (laughs) (laughs) That's red. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, the way it works is... I don't see color unless it's red, and I hate it. Mike is a bull. You pick a color... And then you just like any team that has that color you're into. So you might be wearing a Raiders hat one day, but then a Detroit Tigers hat the next day. Does your head know what what teams you're rooting for? Your head does know, and it's pissed. Yeah, hang on. We should just stick with one of these organizations. Singleton wrote this in college. Does that come across? Mike. Yeah. Mike. I forget we don't need to do this. You don't I'm really gonna, need to ring is, in. Can I not talk right now? I Go ahead, Mike. Call, yeah. I called on Mike. He called on me. <laughs> uh, I'd say... Uh, Maybe that the shagginess throughout, and we said it works for sometimes, it doesn't sometimes. I think the last act is when you're like, oh, you were a college student when you wrote this. For sure. It is the, for how not Hollywood so much of this movie is, it turns into (laughs) the most saccharine, sappy Hollywood tropey at the end. And it bummed me out. I totally disagree. I think that it did turn into more plot based in the last act, but I still think it, like, I thought it was an organic. Uh, I don't know. Like strings conclusion. swelled in a way they had never. It, okay, it was Mr. Holland's opus level of strings. Know. Letting Ricky you know died. What, what do you want when Ricky died? I have to say the score in this was a little disconnected from the rest of the movie at times, and the score I just like never believed it. But I have to agree with Ryan here. I do think that it, everything organically set up to lead us to a more formulaic third act because something had to happen. The, let me point out an example. Um, Ricky and Trey running on the fence mm-hmm. after they see that car 
is the perfect example of like comical farce and holy shit, are they going to die yeah. that I've ever seen in a movie. Like this is what their life is. It's just like, what up, what up, what up? And also <laughs> we have to move now. That yeah. it, like, I can't believe that this movie accomplished that. I mean, right. it's a cruel joke. The idea that you'd be gunned down in an alley out of the back of a VW Jetta. And they're just like, well, this is... You were somewhere we the night right before, right? Because we were somewhere. Yeah, because you were next to somebody who got bumped into, like you yeah. bumped yeah. into somebody on purpose. Kind of seems kind of senseless to me. Everybody, I don't know if everyone else is thinking this. Is Doughboy a one-dimensional a-hole, or is there more to him? Uh, no, I think that I love his last scene. I know that I, I, I definitely agree with you guys when you say that there may have been some cue cards around the set. I see that. <laughs> But I think that he is really doing this thing of like, I have to do this because I know that I don't have anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he sells that. And his like shaking, right. like there's like just enough of a lip quiver of like, and like tears that never spill but are in his eyes. And you could like, I'm furious, not furious styles. I'm furious and very sad. And I'm mad that I'm being blamed for this. And like that he, he crushes that scene. And that I am to blame right. for this. Yeah. yeah. And that like, also I'm like, I am swept up in events but I'm also contributing to events, but I think that this is wrong, but I'm going to keep doing it. He's like such a welter of I know. emotion. I, lo- I love that last scene or the close to the last scene where uh, Trey gets out early, right? Mm-hmm. And then Monster and Chris are still in the car saying, what the fuck, Doughboy, please. Right. And then Doughboy's out there in the street just standing there, like savoring every moment as if he's Scarface and showing that difference, not just like between Doughboy and tray of here's monster and chris saying like we're already in the life but fuck man don't you think we could do better in the life if we got the fuck out of here right now and there is something so timeless about that moment like that moment really to me feels like shakespearean that moment feels medieval that feels like Mm -hmm. warring houses like Uh no i will take every drop of satisfaction over the ending of this life because like he even if that means my life yeah even if that means that i get caught up in it too and even though like I'm too sensitive to be this kind of person. Right. Doughboy is That's too sensitive. Yeah. To is that like... Doughboy is further furthest away from Trey, but also exactly the same well, as Trey. That's why Doughboy that is Chris like... and Monster are the extremes. Right. right. The, the the people in like fully in the life, that's why Doughboy is the bigger dick than than Chris and Monster, because I think he is trying to constantly smother that sensitive. Yes, yeah, he's always trying to drown yeah. that part of him that's absolutely screaming. Like, I also want to get out. But, I also want to live a life. But of he the also mind. wants people to know that he read a lot. In prison, but uh-huh. he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want people to think he's a nerd. Like you better respect that I read a lot, but don't like. But I still did read a lot. But like, don't judge me on that fact that I read a lot. But I did read a lot. Like he's a very smart guy. He has no idea what his place is in the world. I would love to see what Doughboy would have gotten on the SATs because nobody fucking asks. Nobody right. gives a shit. Oh right? yeah. Uh, what's his name? The, his brother, Ricky. Ricky, Ricky got like a seven ten. Either yeah. a seven hundred, got a seven ten. I bet Doughboy got either a two hundred or a fourteen hundred. Yeah. Well, that is the end of speed round. When we come back, awards and one recommendation. <laughs> well, that is very very funny or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. 
award season. All the boys and girls collecting together to see who wins awards. Ryan, you are our guy who knows a lot about Oscars. I know uh, it was nominated at least for Best Director, but he didn't win. Did this take home any Oscars? Uh, it absolutely did not, but it did take home the 1992's MTV Award for Best New Filmmaker, John Singleton. Damn, okay, that's not bad. That's when MTV that's- was relevant. Yeah. Um, this is the exact type of movie that uh, Hollywood has zero interest in. There's like... I mean, as, then... At, well, as we, as we talk about it, like there's like no... There's no white person that learns the error of their ways and then sol- solves racism. So I don't think there's there's much in it for Hollywood awards. They'll make money off of it. I mean, this, to me, this movie is the premier uh, example of let's wait five years and then hand out awards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like we have no idea where the tide is going. Uh, Hollywood always or the Oscars, the Academy always wants it or always thinks it to be 10 or 12 years before it actually is. And so... This movie could have swept the 91 Oscars in 96. But they don't do it that way, fools. Idiots. So we're going to hand out our own awards. Now, 30 years later, the clarity of time has allowed us to figure out who is the best pound-for-pound performer in this movie, Mike. This is what we're starting with? We're starting pound-for-pound. Oh, shit. Greg is absolute chaos. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to... We we've talked. We we said there's a whole segment of who the, the actor who acted circles, uh, but I'm giving it to first timer Ice Cube here. Uh, and maybe it's shock the the do two things at once is all we ask. And the level of that he did here, I was blown away by how good he is. After I've just recently rewatched 22 and 21's Jump Street, and I did as well. <laughs> he is just a goofus. He's not an actor in that. And I was like, oh is shit. It- isn't it insane to find out that one of your NWA, you know, from like your favorite 80s rap group, is now the old man yeah. sergeant in a cop movie? Bananas. And, and, but at some point, this kid had chops. And I think they are rough around the edges here, but I think he is great. I love him here because there are times where he will say things. And I love this Ice Cube in 91. Not the anti-vax, anti-Jewish yeah. Ice Cube. That I'm we have really there. honing in on 91. Ice Good. Cube. I'm glad right. that, that, we're, that we're saying that. Uh, um, but he will like, he'll say things and then the rest of his group will like laugh or boo. They'll cheer or jeer. Yeah. And he'll be surprised. Yeah. And like, <laughs> th- like you never know what you're going to say when you're Doughboy and you never know how people are going to react. And if they jeer, you could be like, fuck you, man. Right. I'm going to punch you or but... just take it or yeah, yeah like, just, no yeah, you guys yeah, are right yeah, yeah you rendered a pretty good verdict there i was way out of line thanks everybody ryan is that also your pound for pound it's not i thought no. ice cube did a good job but i think that Lawrence fishburne uh i do want to point out once again the uh scene with him and angela bassett angela bassett uh i don't know if they ever work together again Lawrence fishburne and angela bassett did she ever say that uh like that she was some sort of proud Mary and that she would not take any more of his shit. I don't know. They probably figured it out in the end. But in this in this restaurant scene where he is trying to be the rich person that she is now, mm. but also the good father that he is now, uh, I think that's what wins. Like We can talk about the under the billboard speech, but I think it's him just trying to be like, I have so many things to say. I have so many ways to raise my son. And like we talked about before, not all of them are uh, up to today's standard, yeah. let's say. 
Uh, but his conviction, I think, is what really wins him this award. That scene has that the set for that fancy restaurant. That is the most sitcom set in the entire <laughs> movie. That's clearly like one of the bungalows that they have on Universal Studios. They just took all the furniture out of <laughs> and then just like put three tables in there. And they're like, it's a restaurant now. Just every once in a while you hear a robot say, tea, please. <laughs> tea, too, please. <laughs> That's Judgment Day. Ryan. I am in judgment of that pound-for-pound pound performance, and I say it is Larry Fishsticks. Up next, it is director moment. Ryan, hit me with your choice for director moment. So we talked about how uh, John Singleton, at least in this movie, maybe when we get to Too Fast, Too Furious, he moves his camera around a little bit more. Uh, but The in this sequel movie, he... to this, because it was going to be Too yes. Fast, Too Furious <laughs> styles at first. I can't believe you both you both brought that up and I forgot to include it so far yet. But he has a character named Furious, and then later went on to make Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, I when he does move his camera, there's a couple of things that I that are so ingrained in my brain. One of them is Trey realizing that Ricky is about to be gunned down. That's the kind of movement I'm talking about. But the one that will always stick with me, the one that I think is the most iconic, the one that he chose to make you question things is where he basically puts a go gopro on a little kid's head and has that little kid run from the kitchen to the backyard into doughboy's uh homecoming party and i think that your first reaction if you are karen-esque is like what is that kid doing here and then you realize how the party the thing that you're scared about the party is just that it's a lot of black people there karen but really it is a family barbecue it's a family barbecue you know he puts it on that it's that same way that you uh that a kid will have a camera on their head when they go into the drug ring or the opium den the heroin den that their parents also own but the way he does it it's the barbecue Mm. and now we're forced to deal with oh maybe it's not bad for a child to be here maybe it's totally fine maybe that's just as good as the way that my kid grew up. Again, it's okay for a kid to be there, provided the person is flipping the meat. Yeah, you gotta flip you the have meat. To check the meat. You don't just eat bad watch barbecue. It. If that kid is learning how to barbecue bad, then that that's on John Singleton. Mm. All right, Mike, what do you say? That's a pretty good one, Mike. I gotta that's say, good. I think it's the the car scene we've talked a lot about, where it is just a hangout. They're all just hanging out, and then the escalating tension, and then it seems to be broken. And then the Uzi. I think the the emotional beats of that. I think what he is good at, and this does show up even in goofy movies like Too Fast, Too Furious, of like, we're what all hanging out. Movie. Yeah, John Singleton directed that, and not enough people talk about it. <laughs> uh, we're all hanging out, and then boom, this moment of tension is breaking what's just happening. And I, yeah. I think he, he sets up that whole thing, and that's what, you know, how he differentiates himself from Linklater uh, and the American graffitis is being like, nope, I'm, now there's burst of violence. I'm going to go with that because that moment was so affecting. And we talked about the sound design for this movie, but like it really filmically, it's like, all right, this scene's over now. And the way the actors are like that, they're making like final remarks in a scene. Right. Virginia King even called the whole culture out. Like Virginia King said, why do we always have to have guns at all of our hangouts? Mm-hmm. And so you, so are, you would think, okay, so we're done then, right? The language is of fade out. Like yeah. you are so ready for it to be another scene, and that's when the bullets come. And then he uses the Uzi. <laughs> right. So Mike gets that one. Up next is cringe. I'm sure this movie provides us with more than enough cringe. Mike, what? 
did you pick? I wanted to pick something that wasn't like you could argue is supposed to be in the fabric of the film, uh, li- like the sexism we talked about. I think the way this telegraphs Ricky's death is like he says they should split up. He's playing the lotto. He's not taking it seriously. Yeah. It's all kind of a joke. After he pisses, after yeah, he, he has pees. a full on piss yeah, on the yeah. wall. He pees and then is like, "Let's split up." And like you could see it in in Trey's face. He's like, "Oh, he's gonna die right now." Because look at him. Like he, the movie and the actor are just being like, "Should I die right now?" Because I'm about to get out. And it it disappointed me in a way that the movie did not. And it felt and you, you so cringed. false. And I cringed. This is he's got big himbo energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this scene. For sure. it's like everything about the scene is indicating he's about to die, and so I think there's a little bit of dramatic irony there because the audience knows so much more than he does. But he it's gets like, in a fucking fight with fist fight with Doughboy. Like, yeah, that's La Bamba. <laughs> he's going to die, and it's like, dude, you know that there's a rival gang that you just recently beefed with. Please pay attention to your <laughs> right. surroundings. But you know, he gets he gets a real fixity of his like his attention gets fixed on something mm. and he doesn't break from it and he was deeply like into his scratchers and to his piss and so <laughs> he just sort of i guess he just tuned out but yeah it's it, the cringe i think also in part comes because it's like come on this, he knows better than that and there right? are music keys because he's like let's split up like i'm like come on was that the terminator come with me if you want to live Ryan, what made you cringe? All right, so uh, I've tried to defend all of the treatment of women in this movie because I think that we already talked about that. Yeah, boys will be boys. You said, okay. yeah, I don't yeah, want. Are get women really worth twice. treating better? I remember you said that too. Yeah. Uh, so the thing, yes, that, they are, Mike. Based on even after that, the thing that made me cringe is I don't like it when we do this with people who actually lived when they're like two weeks later. He shot Abraham Lincoln in a theater. But with fictional characters, with Doughboy walking across the street, and it says, two weeks later, he died. He got murdered. That's the cringiest yeah, shit to you me. You could have just ended your movie. Well, just imagine tell your that. story. Imagine that. The, the last shot is Doughboy just walking across the street. Who knows what happened? Yeah. People would talk we about know, the we forever. All know. We all know. That's the thing. We all know. And he has just said... I am going to get killed in no time over this right. because the wheel just keeps going and I can't get out. And, and then Do- the movie like, Doughboy will be the focus. Doughboy made sure that he was going to be the focus of the next murder. Right. We know what's going to happen. And he's literally walking out of the movie. He's walking like away from the audience. So like the filmic language is telling us he is departing. <laughs> and then disappears, which now filmic language is like over overblown. It, it this also this movie is like we said, stand by me. Mm-hmm. That's the and other stand thing. By it's me not just the an exact same thing. Stand like, by me. It's the same thing. Yeah. As stand by yeah. me. I'm gonna give it to Ryan because that was a little over Ryan. the top to be like stand Two by. Two weeks me. later, he was murdered. Shut the fuck up, movie. We know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us something we don't know. All right, let's get to the specific awards for this movie. S- the snort, the unintentionally funny. Mike, what do you have for the snort? We've said. Uh, I think that Tyra Farrell did a excellent job through so much of the movie and the scene was pretty powerful and i thought ice cube did a good job in the ricky got brought home scene but her tasmanian deviling and slapping all over the place is when it elevated it felt like a stage play level performance and was no longer like is it playing to the the rafters it's playing to the rafters and and man it did not fit again at this point i think post ricky death i was just like okay movie to everything and it made me literally laugh when she's just slapping him 
Oh man, I wish I had that remove. Instead, I was just like, yeah, so agonized by. Because honestly, I do have to say, grief looks stupid as shit. Right, grief looks sure. like people swallowing their own snot and making noises like you've never heard somebody make. Shitting before. on the bed. Shitting <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> the other thing too is that I, maybe Mike is a different uh, sibling than you and I are, Greg. But I would be the one to get hit. If I brought home my dead sibling, uh, I would I would get hit. Oh, I'd be oh, no. I'd be the dead sibling. I'm the I'm the good one that dies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greg and I are somewhere <laughs> that way. <laughs> Fucking great for you guys, Ryan. What do you think is the most unintentionally funny moment? Uh, I I do want to compliment the acting one last one last time, and I want to, I want to say that John Singleton did a good job, but I will agree with Mike that sometimes this movie does a lot, and it's when Trey has seen enough. The, uh, I think yeah. one of the most iconic parts of this movie is when Trey has seen enough uh-huh. and he goes to Brandy's house and it, it does lead to sex, so that's cool. But he flails limbs like a motherfucker. He's Paul like, Rudd in Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. Yeah, he sure. is the opposite of Paralyzed. Just all of the limbs move constantly. He's like on Bob's Burgers when Jimmy Jr. has to like dance it. <laughs> yeah, like he dude, feels he's, it. He's a Jimmy Jr. Gotta dance and- on my feels. <laughs> I have to say, I'm going to give the point to Ryan, Ryan, and obviously that's a terrible dance, but with the addendum, he does get laid. Yes, so he does have sex. And that's a, the whole point of the movie ought to be, it's not when you look cool that these women like you. Right. It's when you show who you really are, which is probably a weird spaz. Choking your snot, throw yeah. shit in the bed. Is that <laughs> Yeah, shit, when you shit your snot in the bed. And an HM that I didn't say, because I think the movie might agree with me, is... uh. Before the Uzi in that scene, when the the girl who's on Team Blood is just like, "Do we got to do this?" and yeah. everybody's like, "Shut up!" and I'm like, oh, yeah. "Come on, she was right." <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's what it is, right? It's, there's always someone who's like, "Let's not do gay yeah. violence." What if we were and just all like, hanging? Shut out. up, you! <laughs> but I think that was I think that was the director saying, "If I were to do easy answers to any of these problems, yeah. then you would all tell me to shut up." Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Ryan, uh, Ryan, best fit. I there's so many, there's so many that like come from people who big like, bold choices work at the mall. Uh-huh. Yeah. It'd be so great to work at the mall, but I have to go, Greg, with Dill Boys, black shirt, black pants, uh, white socks hat, Raiders hat, Raiders hat, yeah, gold chain. That this is because is we so grew up classic. in the Los Angeles area. I think in it is, but like, we think that looks cool. That Raiders, the Raiders is the only color that I will have, and the yeah. only color is silver. Yeah. The rest is black. I think that like that has to be the most iconic fit from Boys in the Hood. So the Crips kind of get away with also wearing black, whereas the Bloods really have to stick to that red. Yeah. And it's I think that makes them look a little sillier. And the fact that they, like, in order to be in the Bloods, you have to have those poofy shoulders. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like the like the dancing spanish salsa shoulders Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i wish they didn't have to go everywhere by carriage right i think it'd be a lot cooler is rough always saying toro everywhere (laughs) they go mike what do you think is the best fit i i think in a similar vein of this isn't one of like the flashiest ones it is uh great then and very 90s and you could pull it off now it's regina king at the barbecue and it is the like overalls with the deep you and then the, just like a white shirt and the big gold earrings. She fucking looks great. And it's super 90s. Uh-huh. It's, it, it's, I just took best fit of like, yes, I, I enjoy this outfit. You don't look like a clown. Yeah, right? <laughs> Mike. I'm going to go with that because it's at least a like a choice. This this like uh, 
Ice Cube wearing a hat and a t-shirt. I admit I'm drawn to it, but that's because I'm a weird 90s kid who idolizes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so how about recommendations, Ryan? Let's go with you. If you loved Boys in the Hood, what what do you recommend for our fans? I got to say, this is I think this is the first time where I'm not recommending a movie. <gasps> wow. Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> uh but I would like everyone to purchase and I own it on vinyl. Nice. Wow. Straight out of Compton by NWA. And it's really hard. It's really crazy to compare these two things. Uh, John Singleton at 24 was one of the most adult hands telling the story. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you hear the story told by the children who are actually living it, which is straight out of Compton by NWA, it is so different. Mm -hmm. It's way more misogynistic. It's way more sexist. Way more misogynistic. But uh, it's kind of funny, and it's 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 really upfront, and like there's no line, there is no album that like there's no way that this album could be made today. Uh, it really is. It's really good rapping, but it also is this time capsule of like, this, no, this is it. Like there's no way that we could we could ever get this from history again. All right, Mike, what do you got? Uh, I was gonna say dope. But then I thought dope is too fun to be similar. So like if you're if you're going for this because it's just it's a romp. You mean just you're you're just saying people should do dope. Just do dope. The the, the, the movie <laughs> dope with uh, starring Shamik Moore. Uh, uh, does that mean heroin? I mean dope is the it means everything. Dope is like any drug. I think you have to know like what drugs you're already talking about because some people call pot dope. Uh huh. Drugs are dope. Heroin dope. Drugs are dope. Uh. So what 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 I think captures it is also not a movie is uh i was like what's like a black story where the protagonists are complicated you don't necessarily are rooting for anybody but it shows how they are trapped by their circumstances let's say beloved uh very different time period in in history but it's just most of it takes place you know in this tiny black town and just how the 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 things of the past have have continued to cycle through and fuck them over and because they're yeah. recently really slaves and yeah it's uh if you want that same thing like ah man i'm fascinated by this person but i don't love them necessarily it, it captures yes. that very well yeah <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of the characters that you might be interested in but probably won't fall in love with in that i'm also going to recommend not a movie Greg. their eyes are watching god i was uh, gonna say their eyes were watching god right that's a really good one ryan oh shit uh, have you guys heard of their eyes were watching god what the band or the book the band i think the band is no is that a band (laughs) book only (laughs) i think there is a band called their eyes are watching god uh but you know in in a way of just looking at uh, people uh who are not perfect but who like are loved by the artist and i think that's what you see here you know maybe caught in a tragic situation the situation being you know Eatonville in their eyes are watching God and um, you know that what happens to everybody down on the muck in the Everglades when the big storm comes but loving the people and not judging them and not only telling one type of story about them but instead being like this is how I saw the world around me and I want to capture it for all time in the loving way that I, I perceived it and the main black character is flawed and the black characters that this main black character is involved with or very flawed yeah and instead of being like we're ready for white time you know like we're we're all polished and like we can all be ready like you know like this isn't that story of like 
just like Boys in the Hood of like it's not pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It, it's not that a people have to be perfect to be loved. It's that or get to tell their story. Yeah, and it's and, and that you can want to celebrate what you really saw and not try to turn it into something that like everyone is going to be like. I'm uplifted by this. You don't have to be uplifted by it. Because we have so many stories about how white people are terrible, and that doesn't change how we feel about white people. You know, like yeah, not, we love white people. They're so great, man. White people are so cool. That's we aqueducts right the moon landing man oh, wow well, two things all... that were faked by white people <laughs> okay mike aqueducts were real buddy have you I'm seen them show you Mm-mm. Mm-mm. i didn't see no aqueducts anywhere okay he's got me there listeners <laughs> there are no aqueducts anywhere when we come back i'm going to tell you who won this game and we're going to guess how far boys in the hood might go Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for ryan to draw you a picture uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on Bandcamp. he's on spotify uh, soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh, you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music check him out all right folks it was a very close one mike mike, mike got it mike no let's you just... scored 45 points ryan you scored 47 oh, damn that is close once again that is our highest scoring uh bout which seems like it happens every single time um that i feel like is a probably a good sign for boys in the hood what is like the the temperature level on Boys in the Hood? I personally am feeling right now like maybe first might be the first place movie at this point. What do you guys say? What number it's, is this? Is this our second this or is third? Our third? Three. But last one was Barton Fink, so it's either this one or Barton Fink. Adam's Family, also a movie no, from this year. You existed. But this, Thanks, the, it's going to be Boys in the Hood or, or Barton Fink, right? It's going to be one of these two movies. I think that Barton Fink is probably would be my vote. But I'm forgetting something. You got to be 91. Yeah, and there dude. is no bo- movie that's Barton. more 91 than Boys in the Hood. Oh man, so that's good. true. Boys in the Fink. Barton Fink is very 1940 or whatever. Yeah, it feels Barton Fink feels like it has the timeless one, right? Because it, yeah. regardless of where it's set, it seems to be like an internal present of of you know being trapped in our own minds as we try to create things or not. But the 91 of it all, very Boys in the Hood. But Boys in the Hood also has, you know, we don't fully understand it. We don't totally know why everything happens. It only becomes formulaic in the, in the, in the event that something actually happens. It doesn't actually, it's not paint by numbers, I think, at any moment. I don't know. I think it might have what it takes to, against any other movie, perhaps do it i don't know yeah i wouldn't I, i'm not going to be surprised or disappointed if it takes it our, our movies of the year can also have glaring flaws and that's okay that's true and i think often they do because 
Hollywood has yet to make the perfect movie, despite the fact that I'm literally calling them every day with uh, a script that is going to do numbers. I mean, Dog Day Afternoon won, and that had no Spielberg or Shark in it. And so. you're saying that's a flaw. That's a flaw. So that's <laughs> I guess that's right most there. movies' flaw, then. Would Dog Day have been better if it had Bruce yes, and Shark in it? Absolutely. Obviously, yes. Okay. It was a three-man team who took over the bank. <laughs> well, sounding the depths here, I'm getting the feeling that it could do it, but it's it's not anybody's number one choice yet. Uh, yeah, I think that we're a little nervous about the movies that we haven't seen before. Like, yeah. uh, Better Day Tomorrow. What's that movie? Beautiful Day. Beautiful Day. Yeah. Um, and then Terminator 2 is still out there. Of course. Yeah. And then we have a number one seed, Silence of the Lambs, which... Are we thinking that that has no chance of winning? Oh, no. I feel the opposite of that. Because yeah, that... that, that- that one's got the popcorn flick effect. It's got great performances. It's 91. About the scariest timeless. movie that Greg will ever watch. Yeah, yes. probably. Honestly. They're like, okay, here's this really spooky guy. Don't worry. We've already arrested him. And then halfway okay, through, great. they're like, oh, shit. We lost the spooky we let guy. Him out. Sorry, everybody. He's gone. He cut off a face and he put it on his face. T2 and Sounds of Lambs, I purposely forget are coming in the season so I can pretend other movies can <laughs> <laughs> can like have a fighting chance. But I, I think this Barton Fink uh versus this movie back to back, that's a good way to forget those two, right? Like Yeah, yeah. I think it is. These are two crazy ones. I think that there's a way in which T two and Silence of the Lambs are going to burn very hot but very briefly in our like thinking. And that there's going to be something that just hangs around about Boys in the Hood. I think that we are going to sit with this movie and it's going to become bigger and bigger in our thoughts rather than smaller and smaller. There's not a lot left to think about T2. It's the perfect movie, obviously. It's the most 91 movie, obviously. You know, there's no weaknesses. There's no flaws. It's got Linda Hamilton and her twin sister. There's that line with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he's like, hasta la vista. In 1991, which we are in right now. All the characters say Greg is worthy of love, right? And uh, (laughs) anytime a movie has that moment, I know I feel good. Oh, you got the director's cut? I think the important thing to keep in mind is that, like, we've got a lot of season left. We've got a lot of really good movies left. And you're going to hear them all on Movie of the Year. We will be back with Terminator 2. We will be back with Silence of the Lambs. We'll be back with special episodes. We'll be back with our tweeners. We'll be back. But until then, everyone, hey, keep watching them movies.